Well, good morning, church. Man, so glad you're here today to celebrate that empty tomb. Jesus Christ is Lord and King of all, is he not? Man, I'm so glad to see you here today in one place celebrating that risen Savior. Joining us online, thanks for being a part of our time together this morning. We want to acknowledge our youth group just got back from a mission trip in the hill country of Texas. And uh, we thank you for your service. If you went on that trip, whether you're a volunteer or a student, please stand to be recognized. I know it was hot. Go ahead and stand up. There you go, Matt. Lead the way. Thank you. All right, talking to them. But uh, they, they were doing really a great job being the hands and feet of Jesus for some students at a camp. They cooked all week long in that hot kitchen, and uh, no doubt that they've got some stories to tell us uh, here in the future. We look forward to that. Today, we're finishing up our series called The Art of Being Unordinary, because we look at the world right now, which is in absolute chaos. Our culture is kind of flipped on its head. There's people at each other's throats. It's all about me and my decision, what I want to do. And we want to be totally opposite of that, don't we? We want to look just like Jesus. And that means different than the culture around us. And so we want to lean into that idea of being unordinary. We don't want to be the ordinary folks that we see in everyday life. We want to be people filled with the light of Jesus and to pass on that love, that peace, uh, that forgiveness, that uh, extension of Jesus in our life. We want to be lights in the neighborhoods and the workplaces and our families that we find ourselves. We're going to look at three different stories today as we finish up this series, and we're going to start in Acts chapter 3. And so if you've got your Bibles, you might want to turn there. We'll be there in just a few moments. Because we kind of started looking at how do we look like Jesus when there are people in our life that are difficult to love. Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, two things are of most importance. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Secondly, love other people just like you love yourself. And he didn't say you get to pick and choose who you love. We're supposed to love on everybody just like Jesus did and would in his ministry. But if you're anything like me, there are folks in your life that you want to be successful, that you want to love on as well, that you want a relationship with, but there are some folks in your life that are a little more difficult to love than others, my guess would be. There are folks that, uh, that you want to have in your life, but there are moments when it's difficult to learn how to love on them and share that love that you want to exhibit to them when they're being difficult in your life. And four weeks ago, we started this series talking about people in your life that are controlling and manipulative. How do we love on folks that want to control who you are rather than you uh, leaning into the life that God's called you to live in His Son, Jesus Christ? The second week, we talked about critical people in your life and those folks who kind of lay on a lot of negative feedback to you. And how do you love on those folks who simply seem to not be happy unless they're tearing you down? How do you love on those folks? Last week, Cale uh, taught a Father's Day sermon, preached a Father's Day sermon, and really reminded all of us guys, whether you're a dad or a mentor, that we need to be unordinary in how we're leaning into those generations behind us. How do we love on them and show them how to be godly people in the world in which we're growing up in? Today, we're going to take a look at the needy people in your life. 
folks that you might uh, have a relationship with that seem to really just suck the energy out of you at times because they are so needy. How do we lean into those relationships that we have that sometimes are difficult because of kind of the way they carry themselves? We call them EGRs at times, extra grace required folks. You've got those folks in your, in your life as well. But you know when they're approaching you, you know the conversation is going to take a little bit longer than, than the normal because they're going to kind of hang around. They're going to let you know where they are in life. They're going to tell you all the negative things that have happened. Sometimes they play the victim, and, and you just know this is going to be a long, drawn-out conversation. And so you've got to kind of, kind of ready yourself for that kind of interaction. And it could be maybe it's a family member that doesn't have a lot of friends in their circle, and so they're depending on you to be that person for them. And so every time that there's a text or a phone call or a physical interaction, you know it's going to be a lengthy piece of time that you're going to spend with them. Maybe it's a, a coworker that uh, in, your, in your office area, they need your affirmation. They need to be affirmed by you because they're always fishing for compliments and how, how they bring this atmosphere to the office and what they do for the office. And so they're always constantly fishing for this affirmation from you. Maybe it's a friend in your friend group who always seems to be on the struggle bus. There's just always something going on in their life that they're having a difficult time overcoming, moving through, and they want to share that journey with you. How do we love on those folks that are sometimes difficult to love in our life? Because there are moments when they, they are in our life, but we kind of take a step back, right? Because we need to refresh, we need to regroup, we need to breathe for a moment. But in that moment, you feel guilty because they feel like that you've abandoned them, that you've left them stranded in their story, and you're not around because they need something from you. We can help people along the way, but sometimes we end up helping them immediately, and it's not good for the long run. It doesn't help them in the long run, and we end up hurting ourselves in the process as well. So how do we love on folks that we find quite needy in our life? We love them, want the best for them, but there are ways that we can interact with them that will be beneficial. Today, we're going to share three stories that I hope are going to help us see how, how Jesus would offer that we interact with those needy people in our life. And the very first idea is this, is that we're going to give strategically. We're going to give strategically. Now, I'm talking more than just about money and resources. We're going to think long-term in the relationship rather than just the immediate need. Because sometimes we, we end up giving emotionally to those folks in our life, don't we? We see the need right away. We see the, the gap in their life. And so we try to meet the need immediately. We give emotionally sometimes. All of us has seen the, the commercial, the Sarah McLaughlin in the arms of an angel with the... Yeah, the dog sitting out in the cold, shivering with nothing to eat. And if you'll just send $19 a month, we'll get this guy well-fed and get him a house to live in. And, and if you do, we'll give you this T-shirt and a duffel bag. And I've always thought, well, if you take the money you spend on the shirt and the duffel bag, wouldn't that feed the dog? It kind of seems logical to me. I don't know. But they're pulling all those heartstrings. They're being emotional in the moment. They want you to help them out right now, not necessarily the long run. And we do that knee-jerk reaction a lot of times with the relationships in our life. Well, I want to challenge you this morning. The real question that you and I need to ask with those relationships that we have that seem to be needy in our life, here's the real question that we need to ask. What do they really need? What is it that they really need? 
And I think the book of Acts in chapter 3 gives us a good story of kind of how that could play out in our life, really discovering how do we help those relationships in our life that we want to be successful, how do we help them out in real life? I mean, what, what are the, rather than the immediate thing, what is it that we need to do? So we're going to look at our story in Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. There is a situation in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus is still on the earth and he commissions all his disciples. You're going to tell my story. The kingdom of God is here. You're going to start in Jerusalem, but it's going to go to the ends of the earth. And the chapter 1 of Acts is a little chaotic. We've got our disciples who are in hiding. They're not exactly sure what to do. They know that Jesus has said, go to Jerusalem, wait on my Holy Spirit. So that's what they do. In chapter 2, we see a totally different church because now they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're incredibly bold. They've come out of hiding. They've got something to offer. They're telling the story. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 2, the text says that when the Holy Spirit came on the church, all the disciples, that it was such a loud event that the whole town came over to see what was going on. That's how incredible a moment it was. And then we see our disciples becoming very bold as they tell the story of Jesus Christ. Toward the end of chapter 2, we see a beautiful picture of how the church should operate and function because it's really a family who are supporting each other, who are walking with each other. They're taking care of each other's physical needs. They're meeting together for prayer. They're meeting together to eat dinner together in each other's homes. They're meeting in a places of worship to, to have communion together. I mean, the list goes on and on. And the world is looking at this and thinking, how do I get to be a part of that? And that's where the boldness comes out. And they say, you need to know Jesus Christ. He is life-changing. He will transform the way you think and live. Which brings us to chapter 3. And Peter and John are now on their way to the temple for afternoon prayer time. It's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And they've got to walk through this gate called Beautiful. And it seems like for most of his life, there has been a guy that has not been able to walk since birth. His friends or his family take him to the gate. He's at the gate, and as people are walking into worship, he's asking them for money. I need money to feed myself. And emotionally, there are people who are giving to him at the gate. They're walking into worship. What, what a better place to play on people's emotion. Give me something that I'm looking for. And now we come to verse 3 in Acts chapter 3. It says, When the lame man saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. Well, the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. Now, that's typically what needy people do in our lives, don't they? They just keep asking, they keep talking, until eventually somebody hears their plea and emotionally takes care of the thing that they're asking for. That's generally what happens. And those folks walking in that front gate would have at times given this guy money and it accomplishes two things for the giver. Number one, you think you've helped out somebody who has, who has a need. You see a need in front of you and so you believe you're helping them out. Secondly, it makes you feel better. And so I'm doing two things in the process. I think I'm helping somebody out as I go into worship and I feel better about myself because I'm helping somebody out who was absolutely in need. But this guy wants money. And Peter and John say, I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what you need. Take a look at verse 6. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what, what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. 
And then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. Peter and John don't give the man what he wants. They give him what he needs. And for the first time in his life, both physically and metaphorically, he's able to stand on his own two feet. You see, that's how God works in our life. Sometimes we ask for things in the immediate, but God's got a plan that is more long-range. And that's what the apostles knew in this moment for this man. I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what you need. You see, they ended up giving him a hand up rather than a hand out. And for those people in our life that seem to be a little bit needy, we have to recognize as well there are going to be moments in those interactions where it's going to take a little more time on your part. It's going to take a little more effort on your part, a little more faith, a little more prayer, maybe a few more resources on your part to fulfill how God's called us to live into their life. I could give you what you're asking for, but I'd rather give you what I know God wants you to have, which is far greater than you would ever ask for on your own. Now, in those moments when you, when you say no to what you're asking for in the immediate, generally that needy person, and we've mentioned this before, the needy person will come back with something like, well, if you loved me, you would give me fill in the blank. If you were a real Christian, you'd really take care of this thing, and it could be any number of things. That blank could be attention. It could be time that they're looking for from you. It could be money. It could be resources as well. But our answer has always got to be, because I love you, I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you really what you need. And in all my years of ministry, I know you've had these stories in your life as well. There have been occasions where, where folks have come to me asking for, for immediate help. Now, social media is a blessing and a curse. Would you agree? Because we, boy, somebody's really animate over here. <laughs> It's interesting because we tend to post our life on social media, don't we, through pictures? We let everybody know the vacations we're on and who we're with and what we're eating, and, and the list goes on and on. And that can be a blessing and a curse because it's great to interact with folks that you don't get to see very often. But there have been moments when, for instance, I've had someone come to me and say, Tim, I'm a little short on my rent, about 300 bucks. Could you help me out? And that's when we have a really heart-to-heart -heart discussion because then I say, well, I noticed last week you were sporting the brand-new Apple Watch that you, you bought. Or I saw that you placed a picture of the new tattoo that you're sporting. I noticed you talk often about the PS5 that you just got and you're interacting with your friends sitting on the couch not out getting a job like maybe you should to help pay the rent. The list goes on and on. And what we're saying as people of God, we're not going to leave them high and dry. There are wonderful people who have needs of us in our life. But what I have gone on to say is, i tell you what we'll do. I don't know where you're at on your resume yet, but why don't you and I sit down and work through sprucing up your resume? Why don't we get it into the hands of people that might give you a job that you really want? Or I might say something like, you know, confidentially, let's mean you sit down and we're going to work out a budget so you never have to be in this spot again. Let's figure out where your money's going and what your income is, and we'll get all that squared away. Because I don't want to continue meeting a need that I was never designed to meet in your life. I want to help you become everything that God's created you to be. And sometimes it just has to do with attention and time. And sometimes we need to say, listen, I, I feel that you're incredibly codependent on me 
kind of for your identity and your survival. Let's figure out who you are in Christ and let that be the person that you lean on and interact with. You see, as followers of Christ, we need to strategically give to those relationships in our life that have a need. We need to give strategically. Secondly, we need to serve wisely. Now, in Jesus' ministry, all of his story, you can look any direction you want to, and he's pulling up alongside people, and he's serving them in incredible ways. Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're at the top of the social pyramid or you're, you're a high-ranking religious person in Jerusalem or you're someone who is in the gutter. For Jesus, it doesn't matter. He's going to pull up along every single person he can. He wants to serve. He wants to be compassionate. He wants to show the love of God in their life, and we should emulate that. But it's interesting in Jesus' story, you find sprinkled all through his story, there are moments when he says no to ministry and he steps back. There are moments when he says, I want to serve, but in order to do that effectively, I need some time on my own with my heavenly father. I need my cup filled so that I can serve better. And we need to emulate that in our life as well. We need to be compassionate, but also create space in our life, margins, so that we can connect with our heavenly father and get our cup filled as well. There's an interesting uh, story that shows that uh, In Jesus' life, in Mark chapter 1, there is a ton of information that happens just in one chapter. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus starts off as an adult. He's being baptized by John the Baptist. The voice of God from heaven says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit is there uh, to land upon him and kind of commission him into ministry. In the very next set of verses, he's taken into the wilderness where he's tempted by Satan for 40 days. He comes back out of that. He's calling the 12 disciples to him. Again, this is all in chapter 1 of Mark. Then he begins teaching and preaching the kingdom of God is here. And he's laying hands on people. He's healing people. He is very active. He is serving which I believe God's called us to do. But then look what happens in verse 35. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. There are moments in Jesus' ministry where he puts a pause on serving because he needs to step back so he can reconnect with his heavenly father, so he can have his cup filled up in order to go back to serving like God's called him to do. How many of you have ever flown on a plane? Raise your hand. Yes, five of us. Somehow I don't think that's true. But it's interesting. It doesn't matter how often that you fly, you're going to get the safety briefing every single time before you leave the tarmac, right? Every single time. And what's one of the things that the flight attendant says? In case of an emergency, should we lose cabin pressure? There's going to be an oxygen mask drop down. You need to put that oxygen mask on you first before you put it on your kids or your extended family or whoever's around you. Because if you're unconscious, you can't help anyone. Jesus kind of says that in his ministry for us as well. There are moments when we have to pause on serving, step back so that we can put the oxygen mask on straight from God to get filled back up so that we can serve effectively in the future. There's a great story that uh, tells kind of gives us an allusion to this idea happening. It's in Luke chapter 10. This is going to be a very familiar story with you. Jesus is talking to a Jewish crowd, 
And he begins the story by saying there was a merchant, there's a man who kind of loads up his donkey. He's dressed for success. He's got some coin in his pocket. And he leaves Jerusalem and he's heading down to Jericho. And I don't know if you've ever seen the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, but it is in the wilderness. It is in the middle of nowhere. It's just through the hill country. And Jesus says while he's on this road, he gets attacked by bandits who beat him within an inch of his life. They throw him in a ditch and they steal everything that he has. Well, on his way to Jerusalem is a priest who sees the man in the ditch and he moves to the other side of the road. He looks around because he's not sure if any other bandits are present. But then he says, if I touch the man, I'm going to be unclean. I won't be able to serve. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave him be and I'm going to go on to my, my job. Equally, there's a Levite that comes up the road. The exact same thing happens. Moves to the other side, checks for bandits, nothing going on. I'm not going to touch him because I'll be unclean. I won't be able to fulfill my duties. Everyone who's listening to the story understands. That makes sense. But then suddenly, Jesus says the third guy to come along is a Samaritan. And Jews hated Samaritans. But this Samaritan stops He mends the wounds, he medicates the wounds, gives the guy water, he puts him on his own donkey, and he takes him to the closest Hilton, where they check in. Gets a room, he gets him bedded, gets medication going, some chicken noodle soup, and then he goes down to the counter, he puts some coin on the counter, and he says, this hopefully will cover all the expenses until I can come back, and when I come back, then we'll settle up the account. Please take care of my new friend while I'm gone. Now, where did he go? We have no idea. But I want to give you two possible ideas that he's doing exactly what we're talking about. The man withdrew himself from serving for a moment, maybe to go back home to be with his wife and children, recognizing how short life could be. Pick up some more resources while he's at home, loving up on his his family, telling them the story that God has placed them in at this moment, and he goes back to help. Or maybe he simply goes back to work a few hours to earn some more money so that he can take care of of the person that God's placed in his story now. We don't know exactly what happened, but we do know following Jesus' example, if we're going to serve and serve well, there are moments when we have to to recharge because you can't say yes often if you don't say no occasionally. There are moments when it's okay, can't believe the preacher's saying this, okay not to do ministry just for a moment so that you can recharge, get your cup filled again. We're going to give strategically. We're going to serve wisely, and we're going to trust God completely with the story. Each and every one of us are called into the story that is going on in the world around, and our call is to be Jesus in every single case and category. We're going to be called by the Holy Spirit into different people's lives, but ultimately, I'm going to realize I'm not the fixer. Church, the Holy Spirit is the person who fixes things. Amen? You and I are not the fixers. We're simply the vessels through which God works to spread his joy, his love, his compassion. Jesus Christ is the one who heals. He is the fixer in the story. And it is dangerous for me to ever think that I am somebody else's answer. Jesus is the answer. Bottom line. He is the one who takes good care of us. If you think God needs you to fix everyone else, then your God is way too small. We need to trust that God has got the story in the palm of his hand. Paul knew this, that that we could interact in stories in two different ways. And he spells this out in Galatians chapter 6. 
Uh, this fall, Kale and I are going to be team preaching through Galatians. It's going to be a great six-week series, and I hope that you'll make time. Put it on the calendar now. I know it's June, but in the fall, back to Crosspoint, be important. But Paul is reminding us of the hearts that we can bring into stories at different times. He says in verse 7, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Paul says, look, we can enter into the story in two different ways. One, we can serve with a heart that is humble, giving God the glory through the entire process. I'm just a vessel. You're the fixer. Or we can enter into the story hoping to gain some recognition for ourselves. I'm the fixer. I'm the savior. I'll take care of everything. In this story, God will bless. In the other story, there are consequences to be had. A great illustration of this is in Luke chapter 15. This is, again, another story you're going to be very familiar with. Jesus is teaching to another Jewish crowd, but the story begins this way. There was a father who had two sons. And the youngest son said, look, I don't want to be on the farm anymore. I don't want to be a part of what's going on in the farm anymore. I want to do my own thing. So he goes to his father, who is still living, and says, I want my half of the inheritance. Surprisingly to me, the father gives the half of the inheritance to the youngest son, who packs up all his things right away and moves away to a distant town where it says he is involved in riotous living. Well, that is a code word for prostitutes, drugs, alcohol, Lewd behavior, I mean, the list goes on. He's got a lot of friends because he's got a lot of money. And he is just kind of doing his own thing. Until finally the money runs out and so do the friends. And he's left alone. And he's going to kind of start starving. He realizes he needs a job. The only job that he can get is at a pig farm working in the pig pen, slopping the hogs. Now, you need to know that Jesus is telling this story to a group of Jews And for Jews to hear that a Jewish man is actually working on a pig farm is beneath everything that they believe. It is so unworthy, so unhealthy. It is not at all what they desire in life. They don't want to be there. Jesus is trying to make the point. It's in the pig pen that the son finally comes to his senses. It's in that moment that the son realizes everything that he's lost. You know, Dad has servants at home, and I know that I have not done the family name well, and so I'm willing to to say no to my family. Dad, just make me a servant on the farm, because I know they have food to eat and a bed to sleep in. So he gets up and he begins the journey home. The text says that the father is on the porch, always looking down the road to see, is that my son yet? Is he coming home yet? And the whole way home, the son is rehearsing the story. I'm not worthy to have your name. Just let me be a servant. Can I come home? And finally, the dad sees the son walking down the road. He leaps off the porch, runs down the road, wraps his son up. In the meantime, the son is is telling the dad from his humble stance, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Can I just come be a servant? And the dad says, are you kidding me? You're my son. You were dead and now you're alive. You were lost and now you're found. Bring a robe, bring a ring, bring sandals. You are my son. I love you. 
And I've always thought, you know, from a dad's perspective, I might have gone over to the town, even at a distance, just to see what my son was up to, what was going on, taking notes. Yeah, when you come home, yeah, this guy didn't do that. But did you also notice that the dad never rescued him from the pig pen? Didn't go over and rescue him from the pig pen because it's in the pig pen that he realized what he lost. It's in that moment that he came to his senses. And church, rescuing is not always helping. Trusting God with the story, how it's unfolding, you playing your part as best you can is incredibly important. Now, the next couple of examples might seem kind of harsh, but it gives illustration to kind of what we're talking about here. Sometimes rescuing is not always helping. Helping. So, mom, if you're the alarm clock for your adult child to get to work, maybe him getting fired is what needs to bring him to his senses. If maybe you've racked up a bunch of debt and you can't pay the rent, maybe eviction is the thing that is going to bring you to your senses. If we are providing phones and internet and a home to our adult children, maybe that's not the best way to go. That doesn't need to be the case. And church, a lot of times we think that people end up being our projects, but people are not projects to fix. They're people to love, just like God has loved on us. And the truth is, church, we're all in need, aren't we? Every single one of us are in need. I've been to many short-term mission trips in third world countries, and I go with the idea that I'm going to bring joy and happiness and lots of smiles, and I'm, I'm going to change their world. And the truth is, almost every single time when I have gone, I look on the smiles of the kids that I went to impact. They've got smiles. They've got a love for one another. I hear the joy in their laughter, the community that they have, and they're teaching me something. I'm not teaching them. They're showing me what the love of Christ can do. And ultimately, that's where we're all at, right? We need to show each other Jesus Christ in our lives. Because church, at the end of the day, all of us need Jesus. Every single one of us need Jesus. Do you agree with that, church? Amen. You're being pretty quiet this morning. We all need Jesus. I love the way the psalmist says it in, in chapter 70 and verse 5. He says this. There it is. But as for me, I am poor and needy. Please hurry to my aid, O God. You are my helper and my Savior. O Lord, do not delay. Church, at the end of the day, you and I can't fix anybody. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. And we've got to trust in the story of God as we pull into the story of God to say, God, I'm trusting you for everything. Show me my part. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and help me be the person you've called me to be in this moment. We all need help. And that need is Jesus Christ. This morning, there may be some of you here this morning that you never said yes to Jesus. Jesus is the person you're looking for to make your life different. He said, I've come to give you life and life into the full. It's only Jesus that can change your life, that can transform the things that are going on in your life. And so don't leave here today without being baptized into his name if you haven't done so already, saying yes to Jesus as your Lord, being filled with the Holy Spirit, ready to go out and be light in the community in which you live. Maybe you've already said that in your life sometime past. 
but there's been some anxious moments. There have been moments you felt out of control. I want you to find one of our shepherd couples that'll be on the wall of this room as we sing and let them remind you of how precious you are to Jesus Christ, how much he's done for you by giving his life for you. He wants to give you life and life into the full. So let's stand together right now and sing his praises in this next song.